0: I want to jump straight back into this. Let's go to our uh, passage first of all. Let's get this up here. We've been looking at Acts 2 42 to 47. And uh, again, this is talking about brand new believers who had heard Peter's message. The Holy Spirit had come and they were pierced to the heart. And that day, that day, there was 3,000 brand new believers. And by the way, last Sunday, I completely missed it, but last Sunday was Pentecost. Pentecost, And we'd forgot about it until we went to the fourth service and somebody mentioned it. It's like, it's kind of really, it's kind of like a birthday of the church, so to speak. Anyway, verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us this insight into how the church started, how you started this body of Jesus Christ the risen Jesus who lives in us by his Holy Spirit. Lord, we have your presence here. Lord, I pray that your word would do its work, that your word would have authority, that your word would be unhindered as we hear it today. Pray that you would help us to have ears that receive, hearts that understand, that we would turn to you in repentance, ongoing in our lives, Lord, as we should. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we got through four points. Point number one, true fellowship goes without saying, is being together. It includes being together. It's self-evident. And that means we gather together regularly and we gather together physically. It says in verse 44 there, all those who had believed were together. And then verse 46, day by day. And then point number two, we gather together regularly from a genuine heart's desire. And we see in verse 46, they met together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And you all know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, I'm sure. He was a German pastor who uh, ended up in a concentration camp. He was executed just before Nazi Germany fell. But he wrote a book, he wrote many books, but he wrote one book called Life Together And just one quote, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. And he wrote that when he was in solitary confinement in a concentration camp. And he also wrote, may those of us who have it, we have fellowship here, not undervalue it or not disdain that. And we have this joy because we've been given new hearts with new desires. And then moving on to number three, we gather together regularly and gladly because we love each other with self-giving, brotherly love, agape love. And it's something that we are saved to. As 1 Peter 1.22, we looked at last week, says, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And from here on, we're gonna see, we're gonna continue to see that love is absolutely foundational to fellowship. It's the very core of true fellowship. It's the driving force of it. And then uh, point number four, we gather together regularly and gladly because of the love we have for each other, because it is a manifestation, or it's a living out of the accomplished reality that Jesus Christ has made us one in Him. He made us into one body, into His body. And that means to not be together contradicts what Jesus has done It undermines what Jesus has done in making us one. And then in the same way, we saw that we're called to being proactive. We're called to proactive faithfulness in our fellowship. We can't get around this. We've been made one, but we are also urged and implored to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And we have the love of God in our hearts. Yet we are to maintain the same love, and we're to fervently love one another from the heart. 2 Peter says, We have been granted everything for life and godliness, but we are to supply moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And I didn't get to this last week, but 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10 is a really great illustration of this. Let me just read it. It says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. So true fellowship, like every other aspect of the Christian life has to be nurtured, it has to be given attention, it has to be intentional, it has to be actively lived out. And that means, simply, that we are to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And neglect and avoidance is really unfaithfulness and disobedience. That was last week. Today, I wanna to look at four more aspects which are numbered in your bulletin as uh, five, six, seven, and eight. The first four, one, two, three, and four, are kind of broader categories of the why of fellowship. And I think we'll see that especially five, six, and seven are more of the what of Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship isn't just ideals and theories, not just theoretical, but it's practical, it's tangible, and it's actually ministry for the actual building up of the body, the actual building up of each other in every aspect of our lives while we're here together in this world. And so the fifth point is that true fellowship involves actively sharing and giving our lives for each other, or simply put, serving one another. Again, Jesus is our teacher and our example. Mark 10, let's start out with that one, Mark 10. Disciples were kind of quibbling and trying to jockey for who was the greatest among them and who would be greatest and, and Jesus took them aside and said, and I'll just cut straight to this part. Jesus said, whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. What's the implication of a slave, by the way? A slave is a servant who is owned. He belongs. He really has no rights. And that word is throughout the New Testament describing who we are. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to go. To John 13. Now, again, we looked at the scene in the upper room last week, too. The night before Jesus went to the cross, and Jesus did for his disciples something that it was one of the most menial tasks that the lowest slave in the household would do, and that is he washed their feet. Peter, I mean, the disciples were shocked that he would humble himself to such a chore like that, and Peter wasn't even gonna let it happen. But after doing it, Jesus explained, and this is what he said, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Remember my dad saying to me many years ago when he was involved in church leadership, if a church had a wash basin, it would clear up. So many issues in the church. So let's go back to continue with 1045 here. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What kind of shepherd lays down his life for sheep? But that's the shepherd that we have. John 15, again in the upper room, he said to his disciples, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you." And then many, many years later, looking back, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 3.16. That makes it easy to remember, but it's 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Jesus said, just as I have loved you, love one another. And then he gives a very practical example, John does, down to verse 18. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, catch this, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. And that's why point number five uses the word actively. As we were saying last week, it's what we actually do, it's not what we say that reveals what's truly important to us. It's what we do, it's what we invest ourselves into, it's what we invest our time into. And we see in the Acts passage, remember it says, they had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need and they did it with gladness and sincerity of heart. Just to kind of give a little bit of understanding there, the early church in Jerusalem, many of those believers that were there on Pentecost were not from Jerusalem. There was a lot of pilgrims, a lot of Jews coming from all over the Roman world and all over Palestine to be there for the Pentecost feast. And when the Holy Spirit came, and they understood who Jesus was, and they received the gospel. They became part of this new community, a community of God's truly redeemed people. And they stayed, they stayed on, because at that time, that was the only church. There was no other church in the world. There was no other fellowship. That means a lot of people there didn't have homes, they didn't have jobs, they didn't have means for sustaining themselves long-term. So those who had homes and those who had jobs and resources, they freely and generously shared with those who didn't so that they could remain on as a church body. So they provided so that the fellowship could stay together. In the last verse of Acts 2, we see that that testimony, that testimony had an impact. It says they were having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And it's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said that the world would know that we are his disciples if we have love for one another. That has got to be just as true today as it was back then. It's not always necessary for us in our time and in our situation to have to share our resources, at least to the same extent they did. But we should at least at least be sharing our lives with each other, sharing our time, sharing our attention, sharing our hospitality, sharing our help, sharing our service, sharing our encouragement to our brothers and sisters. The point is that their fellowship was supernatural. It was supernatural. It was a result of spiritual renewal and spiritual rebirth. It wasn't contrived, it wasn't forced, it was from a changed heart. And that's how our fellowship should be too, because we have the same faith, we have the same Holy Spirit that they did. And yes, it was a radical change for them, but that's the base of their fellowship. Otherwise, what sets us apart What sets us apart from the fellowship that the rest of the world can do and can have? My school, the school I teach in, has all kinds of clubs. In fact, every student in my school has to belong to a club. And a lot of those clubs are full of nice students and they meet regularly, they meet every day, they get along well, they work together. But what makes us different? The world should be seeing something in us that the world cannot emulate or generate on their own, because it has to come from Jesus Christ being in us. I don't know if any of you ever heard Major Ian Thomas. That was really the thrust of his message. The only explanation for what we have is that Jesus Christ is in us. And I was talking last week about these Ugandan Christians, these church leaders, they had this this real, true, authentic fellowship. And they had this understanding that as a church, especially as a fellowship, that they were to be broken. Broken not just in the sense of repentance or contrition. That is included, of course, but more the sense that their whole lives are like a loaf of bread. And a loaf of bread is meant to be broken and shared, to feed and to nourish others, and not just to preserve themselves as a nice loaf of bread. So just to quote what the one wrote, he says, We must be broken even as Jesus was broken for the world. Our commitment to one another in community can be no less than His. No less than that of Jesus Christ. There's so many more things that I could say about this, but we need to move on. So true fellowship is not only giving and sharing our lives, but It is also the place where we exercise our spiritual gifts for the building up of the body. Peter writes, and again in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold, that means the diverse or multifaceted grace of God. Every believer, Every true believer has been gifted by God's grace to share his grace to one another, to serve his church body. This is what Minotri was talking about. For those of you who were at the congregational meeting, this is exactly what Minotri was addressing in his annual report. So we need to understand, though, if we're not exercising our gifts, or worse, if we're not even participating in fellowship, either way, we're depriving, we're denying the body of believers God has placed us in. And this is not a time that we can make a study of specific types of spiritual gifts, but each place in scripture that the gifts are listed, they're always introduced in a similar way. Romans 12 begins this way, Romans 12, four to six. For just as we have many members in one body And all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 12 starts like this Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one, to each one, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If we belong to Jesus Christ by faith, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Romans 8 makes it clear if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So if we are truly in the faith, if Jesus Christ by his Spirit is in us, we will have been given a gift for serving the body. And we're expected to be exercising it. The Lord doesn't entrust his gifts to us for us to bury or to neglect Like when Jesus was telling the parable of the master who went away for a long time and he entrusted to his slaves. One version is he entrusted them talents. Another one, he entrusted them minas. And when he came back, he settled accounts with them. You can read those in Matthew 25 and in Luke, was it Luke 19? But I think we can be pretty safe in assuming that those parables bear some relevance to the spiritual gifts that we've been entrusted. And this is actually very closely related to point number seven, and that is true fellowship is the way and is the place that we, in fact, do all of the one another's that are found throughout the New Testament. And I'm sorry that the print is so small, but there are so many one another's. That's the only way I could fit 28 of them on here. You might want to... um, There's no way we can go through all of these, but we, throughout the New Testament, we are encouraged and we are directed and we are instructed to, and here's a verb, we are instructed to one another, one another, okay? These are just 28 of them. So let's at least kind of just run down the list, okay? We can't unpack these. It's no surprise that far and away, the most frequent one is love one another. No less than 17 times in the New Testament, we are directly commanded or instructed to love one another. And then in a similar way, serve one another through love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I mean, it goes on. Give preference to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Be subject to one another. Have the same care for one another. Bear one another's burdens seek after good for one another, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, be hospitable to one another without complaint, forgive each other, accept one another, bear with one another, show tolerance for one another in love, live in peace with one another, be of the same mind toward one another, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, Pray for one another. Build up one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Confess your sins to one another. That is in there. That is James chapter 5, verse 16. Speak truth, for we are members of one another. And then teach and admonish one another. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and even very specifically, greet one another. It basically includes everything of our life together. Everything from loving and serving, all the way down to greeting. But the point is, this is what true fellowship does. These are the things we're instructed to do. So really, I mean, being together, like point number one, being together, it's just a given. If we're not together, there is no fellowship. And these things don't happen. But I'm sure we can also see by now that fellowship is far more than simply attending a church service on a Sunday morning. As important as that is, as important as this time is, it's not even a matter of having more church events or more programs, because it's not only about being together physically. If you guys remember the picture of the four girls last week that I had in the restaurant there, Together all alone, in the restaurant, each one of them absorbed in their iPhone, sitting together at the same table. It's not only being together physically, it's what happens when we're together. It's about sharing life together with the fellowship of believers that God has put around us. It's it's meant to be active and, and meaningful interaction where we actually live our lives with one another. And you know, it's not even specifically about MCC, but if MCC is the body where God has placed you, then your responsibility is to this body, to share your life with this body, to exercise your spiritual gifts in this body, and to carry out all these one another's in this body. It's not about leadership, It's not about positions. It's not about roles or responsibilities in the church. It's about being part of the body. It's about being connected, and it's about blessing each other. If you guys remember a while back, we looked at Ephesians 4, and uh, we kind of broke out the verse like this. Ephesians 4, the beginning, there's some very long sentences, and this is how we kind of broke it down. Where it says, Christ gives some as apostles and teachers, evangelists, and so on, to equip the saints, that's the body, for the work of ministry. NAS says the work of service, for the building up of the body toward maturity. And then we had this one here, if you remember this. It's kind of the Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 circle, where Jesus is the head, and each part is fitted and joined together by every joint where each part is working properly to make the body grow so that it builds itself up together in love. And that's what church membership really means. Does everybody remember, we had a guest speaker last fall. His name was Masami Nakazawa. Everybody remember that? Remember what he preached on? How to be a participator and not a spectator. Because in the body of Christ, being a spectator or an observer is not a legitimate option. But we were placed in this body. We were placed in His body when we were saved. He did it. Jesus placed us in His body. It's not some kind of second step. We choose later on to kind of upgrade our Christian experience to a gold plan type of thing. So the real issue is not if we are part of the body fellowship, Because we already are, but the issue is really, are we a faithful part of the body fellowship? And we might think, how do we do these kinds of things in a meaningful way, living here in Tokyo? A lot of us live far away from each other. How do we do this in a meaningful way so that the body of Christ is built up here? We know there's no simple answer to that. We know living here can be a challenge, getting together, making the time, putting out the effort to be together. But one thing we can do And that is that we can make the time that we do have together count. Make it count. Redeem the time we have together. Make our time together meaningful to edify each other. Everybody know the word edify. We don't hear that word that much anymore. But to edify, basically, I mean, really, boil it down, means to build up, to build each other up. It's fine to be sociable. It's fun. But I know that those new believers in Acts 2 were not just hanging out. They experienced something very transformative in their lives, something very real and very monumental happened in their lives, and they now had a real and living relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's an experience they had in common, and that's what drove their fellowship. Again, what's truly important to us, what's truly important in our heart, will inevitably affect and influence our relationships with each other, with the people around us, with our families. It shows up in our conversations, the things we talk about. Jesus said, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, and it will show in the way we relate to each other. And that brings us to our last point. It's not exactly in the same practical sense as the last three, but the implications are important, I think, for us to understand, and that is that true fellowship with one another is inseparable from our fellowship with Christ. You could say it this way, our fellowship with each other is directly connected to our relationship with the Lord, and also inversely, our relationship with God has a direct bearing on what kind of fellowship we have with each other. In other words, if our relationship with Jesus Christ is right, our relationships with each other will be right. But if our relationships with each other are not right, our relationship with Jesus Christ cannot be right. As simply as I could say it, If we love God as we should, we will love each other as we should. We looked last week at some passages in 1 John. Let's just look at these again real quick. 1 John 4, 19 to 21. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, again, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Then down a few verses in chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. I want to go back to the beginning of 1 John, to the very beginning, into the first chapter. And, you know, this is really the defining chapter on fellowship. Verses 1 and 2, John begins by describing the reality of his relationship with Jesus Christ, whom he knew, the Son of God in the flesh. He heard him with his own ears. He had seen him with his own eyes. He had touched him with his own hands. And then now he says what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you too may have fellowship with us, those who had seen Jesus. You too can have fellowship with us. It's just like when Peter addressed the believers in 2 Peter, he said to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, the same faith as the apostles, Then he continues here. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It's continuing fellowship. It's ongoing fellowship with God the Father and with the risen, glorified, ascended Jesus Christ. And we are able to have this fellowship too. We are intended to have this fellowship. Peter again, 1 Peter, he writes, Though you have not seen Him, You love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. So, those believers John was writing to here could have true fellowship with the actual disciples because they had the same fellowship with God through the same faith. Then, verse 4 These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And then he says this from verse five on. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another." The fellowship is vertical and horizontal. It has to be. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The fellowship that those African church leaders had, it laid a heavy emphasis on three things. Ongoing repentance and confession to the Lord and to each other. Being broken toward the Lord and toward each other. And walking in the light. Walking in the light both with the Lord and with each other. So that means a church does not raise its level of fellowship by going on a fellowship improvement campaign or by initiating new programs or events or strategizing or having seminars or messages. Growing our fellowship comes through repentance, through acknowledging sin and confessing it, through humility through authenticity, through being genuine, and through walking in the light, by giving our lives for each other, sharing our gifts with each other, and practicing all those one another's with each other. Praying for one another in these ways, in all these ways, teaching and admonishing one another, and encouraging one another. Really, it comes by drawing closer to Jesus Christ. Because when we draw closer to Jesus Christ, He draws us closer to each other. And as we draw closer to each other, we encourage each other to draw closer to Him. It builds on itself. We knew we probably couldn't avoid this passage, right? This is the passage we all use to encourage each other to go to church. But let's start from verse 22. This is Hebrews 10, 22 to 25. It brings it all together. It really does. First, the vertical. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then the horizontal, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. And actually it kind of makes you wonder what happened between Acts 2 and Hebrews 10. It had already become an issue, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near." You know, we are so much closer to the day drawing near than the people who received this letter initially. So how much more should we be stimulating one another to love and to good deeds? How much more should we be encouraging one another as we see the world that we live in growing darker and darker? We've been going through Revelation, Pastor Ron's been taking us through Revelation, We see what's coming. We know what's coming. So how much more do we need to be faithful in our fellowship with each other? You know, when we stand on the edge of eternity, how many people are only then gonna realize that what they invested so much of their life in, so much of their effort, so much of their time, has no eternal value when the fellowship of believers all around them has immeasurable, eternal value. I'm sure everybody's heard the saying, you can't take it with you. There's a well-known old movie with that title. You can't take it with you. We all know what it means when we die or when the Lord comes back, all of our money, our houses, cars, career, iPhones, This, this, the body of believers, is the one thing on earth that we will take with us into eternity. So isn't this worth the investment of our lives in the here and now? Lord, thank you for giving us yourself first. Lord, thank you for giving your life first as a sacrifice to redeem us to Yourself. And that in redeeming us to Yourself, Lord, You've made us one together in You. Thank You for gifting us with each other. thank You that we can benefit each other, that we can stimulate one another, that we can encourage one another, that we can bless one another. Lord, help us to first grow in our love for You And then as we do that, help us to grow more and more in fellowship, in true fellowship, in meaningful fellowship. Lord, may we walk in your light in authenticity, in sincerity. And Lord, that we would know, that we would really know the joy, the full joy, as John wrote, that our joy would be complete, that our joy would be full. Draw us together. your spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.